The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Ms. Vargas, I understand how difficult it can be talking to a police officer. Hell, I didn't like cops myself until I became one. Even when I was a kid, I never thought in a million years I'd end up with a badge, a gun. You know, I know a bit about the situation in Guatemala. Okay, all right, I don't. Look, I understand the reputation the police have in your country for torturing people for information. Oh, yes, and you're trying to shock and frighten me to get what you want. Yes, what is the difference between you? It would take me weeks to explain that. But right now, you're our only link to this guy, and we think he has everything to do with the murder of Hector Gutierrez. Even if you're scared to talk about him. What makes you so sure? I am scared to talk. Maybe I don't want to help you. What do you mean, don't want to? Why should I help you? Who's going to help me? I have heard all of this before from men like you, official men, who say, just trust us. Well, I'm tired of trusting. Where I come from, trust gets you killed. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, July 14th, 2016. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion, which is not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. In the wake of the Dallas, Texas police shootings, it has been a black and white racial issue in the United States over the past week or so, with white people, particularly the police, being accused of systemic racism against blacks. While back in my own hometown of London, Ontario, in the wake of a physical altercation between two women in a grocery store a few weeks ago, London's white residents are once again being accused of racism and Islamophobia. Both narratives are false and they originate from the same evil source. The real racists. I don't know about you, Robert, but I'm becoming one very angry white guy. Yes, I said it. Because <laughs> I'm just sick and tired of all the racist BS that's being created, abetted, promoted, and politically implemented by all the left-wing people and its media representatives. It's driving me crazy, Robert. Bob, there's only one race, the human race, but apparently that makes me a racist. Yeah, there you, you go. You to believe such a thing. There's a sentiment shared by the vast majority of rational people, I believe, Bob. Genetics do not matter in our day-to-day dealings with our fellow human beings. Or to put it another way, we judge people by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. Well, in the latter half of today's presentation, I'll be inviting everyone to my hometown of London, Ontario, which is anything but racist or Islamophobic, even despite what you read in the newspapers, and even with the largest per capita Muslim population in Canada. Before we kick off our show today, just a reminder, write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ at 5130 kHz and on channel 292, 6070 kilohertz. Or visit us at www.justrightmedia.org. 
Well, Robert, shall we kick off our terribly racist show of the day? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the topic itself to me, Bob, is very distasteful, but it has to be talked about. And that's the problem, I think, is that we don't talk about it enough. You know, rational people have a natural benevolence to others stemming from what we share in common as fellow men and women. If there are differences of any substance, such as culture, upbringing, philosophic points of view, religion, or politics, these differences may become points of discussion and of trivial uh, uh, interest, but they are rarely reasons to cause violence or justifiable violence, in my view. That's not to say that many do not consider our petty differences to be insurmountable obstacles to civil intercourse. Of course there are. But in general, in our everyday commerce, our continual truck and trade with others, we see peaceful coexistence. Even in countries where strife seems commonplace, people, for the most part, get along. A walk down the street of any cosmopolitan city, whether it be in the West or the East, should demonstrate the tendency for a people to avoid conflict, to act mannerly to strangers, to deal with people fairly and honestly. I don't live in a pipe dream or a fantasy. This is what goes on day to day. There are, however, forces at work trying to drive a wedge between us for their own financial and or political gain. In countries torn by war, political and religious leaders foment dissent amongst their neighbors by exaggerating their differences, by lying, deceiving, distorting the truth, by insinuating that that which we have on our own considered trivial is an insurmountable and intolerable divide. There is an endless list. What people have in common is so much greater than that which divides them, and yet there are the opportunists struggling to gain control and power by saying that the differences between people are worth killing for. Countless millions of time a day, times a day, blacks and white interact in either friendly or at the very least disinterested ways in the United States and Canada. Sometimes conflict erupts, but it's usually an unusual event brought on by either alcohol, drugs, depression, desperation, what have you. There is black-on-white crime and white-on-black crime, but mostly black-on-black crime, every day. But in a country with a population of 324 million, it's a testament, I think, to human nature and to American culture that there's so little violence. A rate of 3.9 murders per 100,000 points to a peaceful country, not a divided country and violent country. Canada fares a little better at 1.4 murders per 100,000, but I don't want to get bogged down in stats. The point is, we live in peaceful countries. Why, then, is the narrative in the media and coming from our politicians preaching murder, mayhem, and violence? Why has racism been such a topic of common debate in the past few years? Certainly not because racism is running rampant in the United States or Canada, but because it isn't. To the left, there needs to be conflict. That's right. You know, there certainly are racists. There certainly are racially motivated crimes. But they're so few and uncommon, given the millions of peaceful interactions amongst us, that they are, are all but insignificant. To the average American or Canadian, race is pretty much irrelevant. Slavery was abolished in the British colonies in 1833, almost 200 years ago. In the United States, it was abolished in 1865, 151 years ago. Historically, slavery in the Americas is in the distant past and certainly of no interest to today's Americans or Canadians, other than as an important lesson to be learned and never repeated. Even though slavery continues to this day in many African and Middle Eastern countries, but the media don't want to talk about that kind of slavery because whites aren't involved. 
The very concept of race itself, though, is tenuous. But if it's to be studied, it lies within the purview of evolutionary biologists or real scientists, not drama teachers. This is an article that appeared in uh, the Globe Mail on July 13th by Naila Khalida May, who's a professor at the University of Waterloo, where she researches race, gender, theater, and performance. You know, <laughs> I, I remember a guy who used to research race, but he was a scientist. He was a psychologist and a psychometrist here at the University of Western Ontario in London, named by the Philip Rushton. He was pilloried. Why? He was a scientist, and he was white. But today we have Naila Kalida May, who is black and a drama teacher, so she can claim to be an expert in race and to study race. Here's what she had to say in the Globe and Mail article. Unbelievable. She was saying uh, the article was the gist is basically anybody who says all lives matter is racist. But she, um, she yeah, said because this one it, thing. by saying that they're denying that black lives matter, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Yeah, so, so they don't consider themselves in the larger group. That's, yeah. So they're isolating themselves. That's right. All, yeah. all means all. Yeah. You know, but you, you, they don't fit in with all apparently. No. Um, she says, "Quote the d- d- the dramatic delivery of the group, meaning Black Lives Matters activism, is intended to unsettle the majority and empower minorities. In the space opened by its activism, different groups of people are emboldened, and different groups of people are silenced, even if only for a moment. That's the point." Unquote. So, in other words, she wants to embolden people to take violent action. Would she lay claim to emboldening? the person who killed those five police officers in Dallas. I give her the credit. Huh? So would I, yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> but she's actually saying that she wants to silence the other people, the, the all lives matter people, the one race, the human race people. She wants to silence them. That's the point, she says, to silence us. So much for free speech. And thank you, Globe Mail, for printing that nonsense. You know, with the ease with which we travel and immigrate today, there should be no doubt in anyone's mind that in a thousand years, race will be a meaningless term as we, as a species, would have shuffled our genes enough so that it would be hard to tell where our ancestors hail from. This will be a good thing, I think. But today... Mm-hmm. I don't think it'll go away. It'll just be the slightest difference in shade of skin or the, sli- <laughs> or the slightest difference of the tilt of your eye or something like you that. You know what yeah. won't go away? <laughs> what won't go away are the leftists. Yeah, that's what it is. Today in the United States and now Canada, we have a certain minority of people who would divide us based on our skin color. No, this group is not necessarily black and not necessarily white, but they are, however, necessarily left. The leaders of the left have opened up old wounds and have tried to suggest that there is a systemic racism on the part of police, even though the stats reveal otherwise. Now, on past shows, I've mentioned that the left will do absolutely anything to gain power and control. They need victims. They need conflict. Where victims and conflict don't exist, they create them. For the left, being a political leader is not simply a matter of being a rational man devoted to protecting people's rights and a constitution. For the left, being a successful political leader comes by being on the dominant side of a conflict, creating paper-tiger conflicts, defining the moral side of a conflict and positioning themselves as being on that moral side. The Black Lives Matter crusaders in both the United States and now Canada are prime examples of power-hungry leftists creating conflict where none exists and positioning themselves as the only group to have any moral authority in the debate. All others stay quiet. 
to suggest that police officers who arrest, shoot, or kill a black man are de facto racist based solely on the fact that they arrested, shot, or killed a black man not, is not only false in light of all evidence itself, but it is racism. Black Lives Matter is racist, violent, leftist movement whose goal is to promote anarchy. That's, that's it in a nutshell. That's them. Mm-hmm. All statistics on the matter of police killings and race point to a different story than the yarn they're spinning, but truth doesn't matter to these people. I'll let Milo uh, Yiannopoulos um, from Breitbart quote from stats for us um, in this next clip. Following that, let's listen to the voice of reason. Sheriff David Clark was on News Talk 1130 WISN to explain that not only has racism been driven underground in the United States, but that the chief investigator, or the chief instigator rather, trying to revive racism in America is none other than Barack Obama. Black Lives Matter doesn't really care about black lives. Um, It's, as we'll discuss shortly, more of a movement for attention, money, and like most activism, more money. To uh, To achieve these goals, they focus their energies on cases of black men killed by the police. Well, the work of criminologist Dr. Richard Johnson of the University of Toledo explains just how futile this is. And some of this stuff is tough to listen to. Some of this stuff is not pleasant. It's not uh, the kind kind of thing that you want to discuss over cocktails. But it's important to understand the problem if you're going to fix it, which Black Lives Matter definitely can't. Based on 2012 numbers, it would take 40 years' worth of blacks killed by police to equal the total number of blacks murdered by other blacks in a single year. Less than 400 people a year are killed by cops. 61% of them are white men. 32% are black males. Black men are not killed out of proportion when you consider they're much more likely to interact with police. People are killed by police about as often as they're struck by lightning, but I don't see many protests about storms. Black males males are 58% of those killed legally by private citizens in self-defense. And you think, aha, we've got you on something. Except 75% of them were killed by other blacks. (laughs) FBI statistics on murder lay bare the real threat to black lives in America, and that is other blacks. Black men are about 6.5% of the U.S. population, but they commit 52% of all murders. That has dipped to about 40% in recent years. Black men overwhelmingly murder other black people, and white people overwhelmingly murder other white people. So just like abuse and harassment on the internet, this isn't really a racial issue like that isn't really a gendered issue. Looking at overall violent crime, blacks are 27% more likely to attack whites than vice versa, and eight times more likely to attack Hispanics. This is the shocking number I hope you take away from my visit. 90% of blacks that die of murder die at the hands of other black people, and that's from the FBI homicide report, 90%. We're not here to talk about why this happens, why 74% of black children are raised without fathers per Health and Human Services, and why the government seems intent on continuing a cycle of destruction within the black community. My message is simple. Black lives don't matter to Black Lives Matter. If they did, they'd be confronting these issues instead of ignoring them completely. Our guest to begin the program is Sheriff David Clark. Now, I brought in the sheriff, the Milwaukee County Sheriff, to talk about uh, First Responders Month here at uh, News Talk 1130 WISN. We've been celebrating first responders, the dangers that they face to serve us in our most desperate times of need, 
They are constantly under attack. They were yesterday, both figuratively and literally. We wake up this morning to find five police officers dead in a senseless shooting, all part of the rage that is tied into the Black Lives Matter narrative and movement. Sheriff Clark, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Well, it's a pleasure. I want to tip, tip my hat off to News Talk 1130 WISN for honoring our first responders, law enforcement officers, EMTs, firefighters, sheriffs, deputies, police officers, and others uh, as well. And, and, and designating July as a first responder appreciation month. And, you know, Matt, it's unbelievable. The entire law enforcement community all across America is grief stricken right now. And I've said this before, and I mean it, that any time a law enforcement officer anywhere is killed in the line of duty, a little of us dies as well. And so you can multiply that times five with what happened to the five of uh, the Dallas area's finest, as you indicated, in this senseless uh, act of hate and act of racism, by the way. Um, black racism was on display in Dallas. If the reports are true that this uh, uh, guy that did this said he... He did it to, uh, he wanted to kill white people, he said, to atone for something that uh, he has no uh, proof exists. He says the mistreatment of uh, of, uh, of black people by law enforcement officers. But he didn't mention, this guy didn't mention all of the carnage going on in the city of Chicago and all across the American ghetto with the black-on-black crime, the homicide rates, blacks killing each other by the thousands. That's okay with him. We have a couple of misfortunate or unfortunate uh, situations that, that go on from time to time in this imperfect world that the cops have to operate in. And all of a sudden, people like him uh, come out of the woodwork. They come out of their holes. They're spurned on by uh, some of the anti-cop rhetoric coming from President Obama, the, the cop-hating commander-in-chief, from people like Loretta Lynch, Eric Holder, her predecessor. These guys are not responsible for this, but they fan the flames of this anti-cop rhetoric. Barack Obama did it yesterday again, exploited uh, these two uh, police shooting situations and, and talked about a, a pattern of injustice and a, 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 a racist criminal justice system. Again, he has no research data or proof that that exists. He was exploiting that situation for political means. Then he uses this thing to advance his, his uh, uh, gun control agenda as well. This is a sick man. Thomas Sowell a black man, not that that really matters, had published in Town Hall um, on July 12th the following article where I uh, quote from, "Um, Chief among those who generate this poisonous atmosphere are career race hustlers like Al Sharpton and racist institutions like the Black Lives Matter movement. So, Bob, I'm not the only one who calls them racist. Oh, no, everybody's calling them. It's pretty... He Obvious. continues, yeah. All such demagogues need is a situation where there, where there has been a confrontation where someone was white and someone else was black. The facts don't matter to them, says Sowell. The same is true of the moral, upscale, genteel, and sophisticated race panderers, including the President of the United States. And during his first year in the White House, Barack Obama chase, uh, chastised a white policeman over his handling of an incident with a black professor at Harvard after admitting he didn't know the specific facts. 
To the race hustlers, black lives don't really matter nearly as much as their chance to get publicity, power, money, votes, or whatever else serves their own interest. The mainstream media plays a large and largely irresponsible role in the creation and maintenance of a poisonous racial atmosphere that has claimed the lives of policemen around the country. That same poisoned atmosphere, says Seoul, has claimed the lives of even more blacks who have been victims of violence by thugs and criminals who have had fewer restrictions as the police have pulled back or have been pulled back under political pressure. That's the real danger. When you start uh, calling cops racists and all that, and they, they start questioning uh, their job and, and, and when they should um, intervene in a violent altercation, who, who to arrest. Shall I arrest this guy because he's black? I'll be called a racist. That's a real danger. It doesn't just apply to the police. It applies to the public, too. That fe- fear is being called racist by reporting crimes yes. that are committed by people of the r- racial groups that aren't supposed to be talked about. Politicians are afraid as well not yeah. to give legitimacy to these thugs. You know, at last week's Pride Parade in Toronto, a makeshift Black Lives Matters group blocked the parade demanding that the police float and the parade be removed. Uh, a bit of history. If you gathered all the white racists in Canada, you'd probably ha- be hard-pressed to have enough people to, for a game of lacrosse. Canada <laughs> does not share the same violent racial past with the United States. Now, while Canada, that is, while still a collection of British colonies, did have slaves 200 years ago, they numbered in the low thousands, with many actually being Aboriginal slaves kept by other Aboriginal tribes. Nobody here really knows the history of racism in Canada because, you know something, nobody really cares If you look up race riots in Canada, you'll find a Wikipedia article listing five. Didn't know there were that many. (laughs) (laughs) The chief of police of Toronto is black. There's no history of a serious race problem in Canada. Serious race problem. To actually see a a Black Lives Matter group in Toronto disrupting the Pride Parade is actually quite a mind-shaking event. It's, It's absurd. It's pathetic. They should not be listened to. They should not be given the time of day. They don't speak for all blacks. They do. However, speak for the left. When a cop-hating political leader like a Barack Obama meets with Black Lives Matter and, and gives them his support, he's giving validity to a group which should be shunned. He leads the leftists in the United States and is as much trying to cash in on cop-killing blacks as the Black Lives Matter mob. His agreement with Black Lives Matter has invigorated black men and women to feel that their lot in life is not due to their choices, but due to their skin color. In fact, the conditions many blacks have in the United States are as a result of social policies of all levels of American government, policies which reward single-parent families, which reward having more babies than you can afford to care for, and which discourage self-reliance. Barack Hussein Obama's approval of the Black Lives Matter message of racism has emboldened people to riot in Ferguson and loners to kill cops in Dallas. By fueling Black Lives Matter's protests, Obama and the left have tried to suggest that they are the only political stripe which agrees with what I described before in the show to be the natural benevolence we all share. Only the left can feel benevolence, apparently. By inference, their political opponents disagree with this natural sentiment and are called racists. Since Obama has come to office, the term racist has been so misused and overused that it's actually becoming an ineffectual slur, which is unfortunate because, you know, the term does have its proper place. The proper place to use the term racist is to describe members of Black Lives Matter. The proper place to use the term racist is to describe those who share the divisive and racially motivated policies of the Democratic Party in the United States. 
It was the Democratic Party that opposed the emancipation of blacks after the American Civil War. The Ku Klux Klan was a band of Democrats who sought vengeance on Republic states' governments following the Civil War. It was a Democratic President Lyndon Johnson who was quoted as saying in 1963, quote, These Negroes, they're getting pretty uppity these days, and that's a problem for us since they've got something now that they've never had before, the political pull to back up their uppityness. Now we've got to do something about this. We've got to give them a little something. Just enough to quieten down. Not enough to make a difference. I'll have these niggers voting Democrat for the next 200 years, unquote. Obama continues the racist legacy of LBJ with his support for Black Lives Matter and his anti-cop rhetoric. Ironic, you think? Not if you look past the color of his skin and consider the content of his character. As you said, Barack Obama isn't directly responsible for this. Loretta Lynch isn't directly responsible for this. Her predecessor, Eric Holder, isn't directly responsible for this. But what did we get from the president after the... uh, the St. Paul suburb shooting, the Mississippi shooting, uh, we got this big announcement about, you know, the racial problems in America. I'm not saying there aren't problems in America. And I'm not saying, as you have said so eloquently on many occasions, Sheriff, that there aren't some, some bad apples in law enforcement. But law enforcement in this country, they have been under constant attack. They know going in that they're going to have to face some dangerous moments. That's the job that they take on. But who the hell, is, as as a, an officer in training, wants to get involved in a job where you're just simply, not just not appreciated, but disdained by you, the President of the United States? How do you feel about this as a, as a sheriff, a longtime law enforcement, and what do, what, do your, what do your officers think about this? Well, this is some of the darkest days in recent history as it relates to race relations, as it relates to uh, division within this country. Uh, and I, I believe it's, it's the result of, of the uh, Obama agenda that's part of his tactic, divide and conquer. It's how he became a U.S. senator. It's how he became president of the United States. He started all these things with, uh, you know, his so-called war on women. He talks about that. He acts as if, he says racism is alive and well in the United States of America. No, it's not. I'm here to tell you that it's not. It is episodic. It has had to go underground. And society as a whole will not tolerate that crap anymore. And when it happens, like it did in Charleston, South Carolina, with uh, Dylan Roof, America stands together and shames that sort of thing. But what what you know, what we need from a president, Matt, and here's what I expect, and here's what we've been used to, all right? Politics aside, no matter Democrat, Republican, presidents have a sense that their words matter, and they realize they have to... Be careful with the words they choose. What we need from the president is we need him to calm the waters. Barack Obama doesn't calm the waters. He pulls out his political agenda and says, what can I capitalize on here politically? And he poisons the well. Um, This is the first time in my 38-year career in law enforcement here, all inside Milwaukee County, uh, where we have been viewed by the president of the United States as an adversary. We've always had the support of the President of the United States. We've always had the support of the Attorney General up until Eric Holder and even Loretta Lynch. And I don't even want to hear from her today. All she's going to say is the obligatory stuff that she knows she has to say. But the first minute she gets a chance, I mean, she did that the other day in that unfortunate incident in Minnesota. I mean, within hours, didn't even have any of the facts, much less all the facts she dispatches 
her jackbooted goon lawyers from the Civil Rights Division because what she saw was an opportunity to take over another police department. Um, but this is what's going on, and, and you know what, I, I just, I remember growing up as a kid, my father used to always say, never waste your time away, uh, it'll go by soon enough, but I can't wait for January 20th when, when Barack Obama leaves the White House for the very last time. And my hope is that uh, the voters this fall do the right thing. We don't need this cop-hating uh, uh, Mrs. Bill Clinton in office either. She's another one who fans the flames. She threw up the uh, hashtag Black Lives Matter yesterday in a tweet. I find that stuff distasteful, and she knows better than that, but she's another political opportunist, and that's what she does there. But she doesn't support police. She doesn't like police, and that's why I say, you know, we got to somehow, and some people may want to argue this, and that's fine, but um, we have to elect Donald Trump because he has been unambiguous in his support of law enforcement officers all across the country. He doesn't waffle. He doesn't uh, try to mince words and try to split the, uh, you know, split hairs. He says, no. You know, the cops, we've got to have effective law enforcement. We have to support our cops. And, Matt, you know, the thing is that we have the overwhelming majority of support of the people in our community. When I hear this crap about, you know, the cops have to improve their relationship with the people they serve, that's all nonsense. We already have that support. But there's this slimy movement out there right now, this cop-hating anarchist movement, Black Lives Matter, that is out there. Uh, propagandizing and, and, and raising claims that they cannot support. This is all anti-cop. And, you know, once we get this thing righted, this ship righted, where uh, we have a commander in chief who's going to lead the country, not just because he likes cops, but when he sees these things and he knows, he says, the waters need to be calmed here. I better be careful with what I say and not be reckless like, uh, uh, Barack Obama has been. Strange how life falls people around. What do you mean? Just that, um. Thank you. You're welcome. All the people that come here from Argentina or Colombia or Guatemala or wherever, I mean, you gotta figure that they're looking for something, right? They're running away from something or they're looking for a better way of life. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And the people that are millionaires down there. They stay millionaires here. And we know the gangsters are gangsters wherever they are. That's right. The good people stay good and the bad people stay bad. No, I hear what you're saying, but what is your point? Just that this is supposed to be the promised land, right? It's supposed to be this great place, but it doesn't work when they bring all that baggage with them. I mean, it, they carry this fear, a lot of them, and... As long as they do, I mean, they're never going to find the happiness that they're looking for. No. Maybe it just takes time. This next generation, they're going to find what their parents were looking for and what their grandparents were looking for. That would be nice if that happened. To the next generation. To the next generation. You're listening to Just Right. You can go to our website at www.justratemedia.org where you can find a listing of all our past shows. You know, Robert, it would be great if, as our characters in the Just Heard audio bite from Silk Stockings just mused, if not only immigrants, but the future generations of those immigrants could lose their baggage and adapt to a culture of individual freedom that is what the promised land and the possibility of happiness is really all about. 
Unfortunately, it just simply isn't so. Clearly, where a person is from is not the source of the problem with constant divisions between groups and society when it comes to differing races and, and ideologies getting along. Even North America's aboriginal groups have remained isolated from the promised land and continue to cling to their isolation even if it means destitution and misery. And being Canadian, let's not even bring up the French collective. <laughs> so, you know, cultural and racial baggage comes with one equal sign. It equals history and what people bring, and the story that they bring with them. What story do they believe? When my family originally emigrated to Canada from Hungary through Germany to London, Ontario in 1953, as displaced citizens, we were all taught that every person was an individual and that national or group identities were never spoken about when judging the characters or actions of any particular individual in question. Racially, we were taught to be blind to such considerations. Mm -hmm. And that was the prevailing legal and social attitude in Canada back in the 1950s and increasingly up until the 1960s when suddenly there was a reversal. One of the benefits of living in a free society was that we didn't have to think about race, color, and creed. But thanks to our current lefty collectivist socialist politicians, that's no longer the case. You have to be very careful about everything you say and, ex and express these days to the point of becoming unreal in the dehumanizing way that philosopher John McMurray might put it. The racist agenda of the day is to make us all very racially, culturally, religiously, and ideologically quote-unquote aware of the opinions and feelings of others in the community to the point where we're now compelled to understand Islam, Christianity, gender, language, and any other collective identification that can be used to manipulate and divide these groups further apart. I don't particularly want to have to know about all those belief systems so long as those who hold them can respect the right of those who disagree with them. There is no need for me to know their business. Personally, I couldn't care less about any religion or faith-based beliefs or about the color of anyone's skin, and it takes no effort on my part to remain blind to these considerations unless they're forced in front of me in some way, which is exactly what keeps happening every time I try to get some real news from our establishment media. Everything is about race, color, creed, and it's apparently now everyone's duty and responsibility to welcome and understand different groups and to stop hating. <laughs> Jeez. The road towards legislating these responsibilities is now being paved, and our society is indeed becoming more racist and Islamophobic, but the source of these returning phenomenon are the politicians and community groups who get free money and government grants to study and educate us on the evils of their collectivism the propagandists who preach that we are all the haters. Everything about this, Robert, I find is an affront to reason and to morality. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take our focus now back to my own hometown of London, Ontario, where the daily barrage of racist, sexist, Islamophobic, uh, homophobic, and just about any other phobic thing you can think of to make, to make up to divide or otherwise, our otherwise harmonious community pours endlessly from the pages of the city's only daily paper, the London Free Press, and with but one or two exceptions, is by and large echoed by all of the other local media. Just over the past few weeks, a story originating from the London Free Press became a national and then an international story of hatred against Muslims because of an alleged physical attack between two women at a grocery store in the city. So what you're about to hear, on this side of the bumper, 
is so incredibly powerful that we've devoted a bit of extra time to the following report made by Andrew Lawton on his Thursday, June 30th show. Despite the eight-minute or so length of this report that you're, as you are about to hear it, it's a very edited down to the essentials of Andrew's much longer broadcast, to which we will provide a bonus link with our online posting of today's broadcast. And then following Andrew's report, which you are about to hear first, one would have reasonably expected the headlines of all the newspapers who'd been giving us this racist, Islamophobic narrative to be devoting their full front-page attention to this true story and assuring us that, thankfully, we're not as Islamophobic as had been assumed. Yet, as of this broadcast, Andrew's story has only been reported by Andrew Lawton himself on CFPL AM 980 Radio in London and later on YouTube on The Rebel. And, you know, all I can say is shame on our media outlets, shame on the fourth estate for failing to be responsible for its irresponsible reporting standards. Thank you, Andrew Lawton, for making us aware of a few incredibly important facts, not all of which have to do with the alleged assault incident in a grocery store. But no such stories, nor the facts, ever made it to the mainstream media. In fact, the subsequent reaction by the media was despicable, and should in and of itself warrant national front-page headlines. That's the real story, not some random attack in a grocery store about which few are in a position to judge. So if you haven't heard any of this before, you might want to be sure you're sitting down. And while you're in the sitting position, on the return side of our upcoming bumper, we'll be listening to an emailed comment sent in to another radio station on July 6th, over a week following Andrew's broadcast. The writer was Scott Williams Oaks, who has twice been our guest here on Just Right. Following Scott's commentary, regular and popular phone-in caller Sonny responded on Tom McConnell's Vox Populi show this past Friday. You want to hear racism? Get ready for Sonny. But first, here's Andrew from his Thursday's June 30th broadcast. Now this uh, this is an interesting case. It has made headlines across the country. Across the country. And ultimately, it's been one where people have put the cart before the horse. And people have attempted to make a claim about this that it, I think, is dishonest. That I think is dishonest. People have said this is a hate crime. A hate-motivated crime. A crime born of hatred, a crime born of hatred towards the Muslim community, towards the Muslim population. As you well know by now, the case involved a Muslim woman who was allegedly spat on, punched, and in the course of this altercation had her hijab removed, which according to a London Free Press piece, had covered her head for the last 16 years. So let me walk you through what happened here. Let me walk you through the timeline, because I am going to drop a bombshell on you in just a couple of moments here. I'm going to tell you a piece of information about this case that you have not heard anywhere else. A piece of information that does not exist in any news coverage, does not exist on social media, does not exist in any of the public discussions that have taken place around this case. But before we get to that, I want to walk you through the timeline here. June 20th, woman reportedly assaulted at the Super King supermarket, during which her hijab is removed. Her brother posts about this on social media. Eventually, it gets reported to police. 
they released that famous picture of a woman staring directly at the camera wearing a red Canada t-shirt, shaking her fist, pointing it towards the person who's taking the photograph, who we heard was a 25-year-old mother. And ultimately, this is a significant problem. This is a significant issue here when someone feels threatened or when someone is attacked. The woman in question, the victim of this attack, was holding her child at the time. So then we see this photograph make waves around the country. People holding it up as something indicative of racism and Islamophobia in London, Ontario. People saying this is a problem that London needs to deal with. Federal Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodale tweets out, that, you know, this kind of act is deplorable. Peggy Sattler, a local NDP member of provincial parliament, tweets out that this is a hate-motivated crime. Mo Salee talks about the plight that Muslim people endure, likening this to that very case. He talks about the fact that the hijab is beautiful. He tweeted on June 21st, thanking the Muslim community for being peaceful and loving in London. And this became a national controversy, this story. This became a national controversy because people are saying this is a run-of-the-mill hate crime. And then police arrested the woman a couple days later, sent out a press release thanking the public for their help, saying a 38-year-old woman has been charged with assault. Not hate-motivated assault, not a hate crime, just assault. And... Police do not name her. Now, this is rare. A lot of the times, journalistic outlets will have their own policies on whether or not to name people accused of crimes or name people who have been charged with crimes. But typically, London police send out media release announcing arrests and they send out a person's name almost exclusively. The only times they don't are crimes involving children or crimes of a sensitive nature where there's a reason to not identify the person. In this case, they've already blasted her image around. It did not make sense that they did not name her. No one really presses it either. A couple of media outlets ask, and they just, you know, include the boilerplate response from police saying that, you know what, we have the right to not name or name. There was a lot of discussion circulating in the media, journalists, people talking, thinking that there was a publication ban of some sort on this case. And that would have been very confusing. We wouldn't know why. Those are typically rare. But no one knew. I called the Crown Attorney's office and said, hey, is there a pub ban on this case? And the Crown had no idea said go down to the courtroom so I did exactly that I did exactly that I went down to the courtroom and I had to look at the files I found out there's no publication ban I also found out looking through a few of the pages in this particular case file one key point that dramatically alters the entire narrative one point that transforms the entire discussion about this issue and whether or not we can call it a hate crime or look at it as a hate crime. One piece of information that shatters the narrative that is spreading about this case, about this one incident at a supermarket across the country. The woman is 38-year-old Sheila Shaidai of London. Now, this woman 
we don't know much about. I tried calling her. She did not answer her phone. I tried calling her again. She did not answer her phone. I have tried to reach out to get her side. I have not been successful in that. And I don't think even if I reached her, it would have been the most successful endeavor. The reason I know that is because when she had her preliminary appearance in court, it was determined that she required a Farsi translator. Farsi. Now, Farsi is a language spoken only by Persians, the vast majority of which live in Iran. Iran has a Muslim population of 99.4%. If someone is from Iran, there is a virtually entire possibility that they are a Muslim. Now, that doesn't mean that an, Iran who, an Iranian who leaves Iran still continues to practice their faith. However, we're dealing with a different situation here. Dramatically different, knowing that this woman is of Iranian background. Then what was the narrative before? Is that this is just some Canadian that did not like the idea of a Muslim in her country and decided, I'm going to attack them. This shatters that narrative. And it does not appear anywhere in media. I looked up the woman's name when I found it. On Google News, nothing. Looked it up on social media, nothing. Looked it up on the internet to see if anyone had even mentioned it. No one, nothing, nowhere. And what's interesting is I looked a little bit more into this Miss Al-Sayed, who is being held up as this model of the need for us to rise against discrimination, and I found on her Facebook page a picture of the Star of David, the symbol of the Jewish faith, with a bloody red line through it. And this is the woman we're looking to. As some sort of moral authority and how we all need to get along. The woman who posted a picture of a bloody line through the Star of David. get to the brick wall. Isn't it funny how everyone can lose their damn minds over something and when it ends up not fitting the narrative they wanted, it gets forgotten, buried? Such is the case of the Super King Market Assault, where a woman was assaulted by another woman who recently uh, was recently brought to light uh, mental health issues. The media's initial report on this was highly speculative. Get everyone riled up case of Islamophobia because the victim was a Muslim woman who had her head covering ripped off in the assault. The reason the story was quickly buried was because the attacker turned out to be from Iran herself, who spoke Farsi. All in all, it was a mentally unstable attack between two women where a piece of clothing got pulled off, period. Uh, like I said, the story was buried and forgotten, but not before the media blew it way out of proportion and the damage was done. No retractions, corrections, or updates, just forgotten. But they still cited the case to fit the false narrative that London and or Canada is a racist, Islamic-phobic place, and we should be ashamed of ourselves. For the most part, London is a tolerant place, but members of our community, members of our elected body, and members of our educational systems want everyone to fall in line and believe the BS notion that we are racist and in this current flavor of the year, Islamophobic. But the real question is not what they think us they want us to think this, but what they intend to do to put it in place to fix it. Check out my archive at thebrickwallwrites.wordpress.com. Follow me on Twitter at SWO London, and my book Happy Trails can be found on Kindle and in print on Amazon. Just search Happy Trail Scott and look for one of Kathleen Wynn's precious wind turbines on fire. Go down to Sunfest and have a great weekend. Scott from London, The Brick Wall. Sonny, how are you? 
I am good, Thomas. Are How you ready? I am well. I am frustrated. In uh, all right, you got two minutes to let out your frustrations. Go. Well, let me respond to the brick wall. Why do you wish to deny you are Islamophobic in this part of the world? It is pretty obvious. You are Islamophobic. Because every time you wish it's a Muslim that killed uh, somebody from another uh, in this country. Perhaps you should look at London. See who defaced the mosque in London, Ontario. Then you will possibly understand that within your myth there are Islamophobes and people who do not understand how to respect others. So don't try and lay it on people that do not know what they are saying. We will tell you, because we as Muslims experience Islamophobia. It's not something that we wish to uh, experience. It is something that is happening. It is the same like I said yesterday. And the governor of Minnesota bore that out. What did he say? Racism exists. And racism is inculcated in the psyche of whitey. I will say that over and over no, and over it again. Isn't. It is. You, you 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 do not want to admit it because it is against your very self in uh, being that when somebody exposes something, then oh, we didn't know about it. It's a conspiracy. Some people are racist. We can agree to that. Not everyone is racist. We can agree to that, but there are those within the community that are very racist. So there, so there are no. To be threatened. So there are no black racists. There's no Hispanic racists. There's no Asian racists. Only whitey is racist. Because whitey is the majority. That is the point. Here. In the Western world, whitey is the majority. Right, right. But not all of us are racist. Whew, I thought it was about time. Yes, we're all racist. It's all of us to blame. You're to blame for what happened. Isn't it remarkable how openly minorities are able to express their racist views? You know, and Sonny's comments were racist and were directed against a group, an identifiable group, in the same way that's being prohibited by the so-called anti-racist groups who themselves are predominantly racist. But unfortunately, they're minorities, not majorities. Here you have Sonny accuse Scott of denying Islamophobia in the West when all Scott did was focus on the single, quite proven false narrative of the story in question. Sonny concludes with full prejudice and predetermined observations that Scott is Islamophobic because Scott wishes it was a Muslim that killed a non-Muslim. That's, that's insanity on its face. I, I didn't get that at all from Scott's letter. Nothing no, like that. No, but that's what Sonny was saying. You know, we as Muslims experience Islamophobia, says Sonny even apparently when it's not present, they experience it. Racism is inculcated in the psyche of whitey, asserts Sonny, because whitey is in the majority of some sort, which is a demographic statistic that no individual of any race or color has any control over. Sonny has expressed a completely racist opinion, an opinion consistent with the rest of his values, though he so often speaks of individualism and treating others as individuals without regard to race. These two opinions are incompatible and it's stunning to hear what, what he said there compared to what I've heard him say in the past. What we just heard Sonny shout at the top of his voice is completely incompatible with Western values and with individualism. It was shameful. 
When non-white individuals and groups exclusively target the white community with charges of various phobias, at the heart of their motivations lies an acknowledgement that it was the white cultures who first discovered and implemented the principles of freedom and capitalism, and therefore happened to create the bulk of the world's known wealth and highest standards of living. Tribal and collectivist mentalities are incapable of reaching such heights and therefore accuse those who do as being guilty of racism and other phobias to excuse their own collective shortcomings in that regard. Call it envy, call it greed, call it hatred of the good for being the good. There's the real dis discussion that needs to be held. And then there's Andrew Lawton's expose. The victim is expressing her acceptance of other cultures and willingness to respect the individual individualism of all people by posting anti-Jewish propaganda on her website. Imagine that. The perpetrator turns out not to be a white Islamophobic racist, but from the Islamic culture itself and additionally has been said to have mental issues. Quote, racism is unfortunately all around us, said Anita Bromberg in a June 25th London Free Press article. Um, who is head of the Canadian Race Relations Foundation. Quote, you're going to have racists in your midst. Sometimes it's driven by people with mental illness or having a bad day and not just ha having the right coping mechanisms. You can see these moments of stress. You can't justify these acts as anything but racism and intolerance, end quote. Now, think about what she just said. Even mental illness is racism and intolerance, right? How am I supposed to take anyone who can say such an untrue and unjust thing seriously? I suppose if you can include the mentally ill in your Islamophobic stats, that qualifies you for more government funding. It allows you to say that Islamophobic incidents have more than doubled since the previous year, even though we're talking about a total of perhaps 10 or 20 people <laughs> in total. And, that, and there are these kinds of incidents. Now, don't you think it would have been in the public interest for the London police to have released the alleged perpetrator's name after her arrest. You know, they clearly understood there was no evidence of hate crime. It was just an assault. So in whose interest was it to not release her name? It was only in the interest of the hate-based anti-Islamic narrative that, was, that the name could have been withheld. So you're suggesting that the police are complicit in this hate-based totally. narrative. And they're, they're, they're participating in it. They take part in the public hearings and all that stuff, and they're, mm -hmm. they're repeating all the same nonsense. Our, our police, politicians, and community activists are promoting hatred and alienating the alleged haters from the alleged hated and vice versa. They don't care because, of course, what they're really after is government funding for their wasteful and destructive programs, which only fuel, not smother, the fires of imagined hatreds. As to the London Free Press, it was BS as usual. This is the story that followed Andrew Lawton's expose full, a full four days later. Get this headline, Anti-Hate Movement Launches Today by Dale Carruthers in the Free Press on July 4th. On July 5th, uh, Standing Together Against Hate, all these meetings that the city's having against the hate that was involved in this, this story that Andrew has already exposed as being false. But they just went ahead with it as though... You know, it, it didn't make any difference, as if it never happened. The National Council of Canadian Muslims, in one of these articles, says that they've already recorded 30 anti-Muslim incidents in Canada this year, up from 14 last year. Wow. Incidents 30, of this nature. In a, in a right. population of 33 yeah. million. Wow, that's Incidents, yeah. whatever that means. That could mean, <laughs> and then some of them are just somebody shouting at somebody, yeah. right? Giving, giving them a dirty look, maybe. The very idea of even having a hate crime is another way of saying a thought crime. People should be legally charged only for their illegal behaviors. 
people can and should be judged by the court of public opinion when it comes to the published expressions of their thoughts. To mix the two, quote, crime, crimes, quote, unquote, thought and action, you fuel the fires of racism and other social phobias. In an environment of political freedom, minorities and majorities, however infinitely defined, are no cause for fear or concern. It is the principle of majority rule, not democracy, that is at the heart of the so-called racist fears of being in the minority. That's what they fear, is majority rule. And wouldn't you know it, the very people who fear this, you know, and who are lying to us about the extent of these phobias are the same people who want to see our electoral systems reformed to reflect majority rule, uh, rather than responsible government. Now, I know this might touch a few raw nerves, but there's one quite unavoidably observable distinction between the attitudes of the majority of the Muslim community and the so-called black community. North American black people and white people have a lot more in common with each other than with like-colored folks in Africa or Europe or in Eastern Bloc countries. Note how members of the black community immediately came forward to reject the actions of the murderers in Dallas not just in condemning the action, but in ensuring everyone that the black community has no racist animosity against the white community. They, they came out and said so. You heard that from many black members of the U.S. community. That attitude is very different from the Islamic camp, where Islamist violence is condemned, yes, but not because it targets other Muslims or even Westerners, but because it offends their concept of Islam itself. Very little is heard about the Muslim community's desire to adopt Western values, to share in the promised land, or to seek one's own personal happiness, individualism, personal choice, let alone to say they like white people as such. What we get instead is propaganda and accusations of Islamophobia, that it's up to we Westerners, specifically the white ones, to get their act together to understand and accept Islam and Muslim culture as a thing with which we should not disagree, nor be allowed to disagree. That's where, the, that's where they're going with all their talks now. To quote trauma surgeon at Parkland Memorial Hospital in Dallas, Dr. Williams, who happens to be black, according to the news article that I heard, I quote, and this is him speaking, I understand the anger and frustration and distrust of law enforcement, but they are not the problem. The problem is the lack of open discussions about the impact of race relations in this country, end quote. In the, it is those very discussions that all of the hate crime and political correctness proponents want to prohibit. They are the problem. We suffer their sins. Thankfully, there are still a few holdouts willing to expose the destructive progressive trend back to the bad old days of group rights and not individual rights, and to have that open discussion, whether comfortable or not. And of course, this show is one of them. Join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. See you then. Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright Arch, why do you have to fight with them tonight? We, we gotta get some sleep Nobody's gonna sleep in this house till we get this thing cleared up here Daddy, for the millionth time There's nothing wrong with Lynn and Lionel going out together Nothing wrong? Try and make our father believe that What the hell am I talking about? Try and make me believe it <laughs> Come on, Daddy They were only going dancing Only dancing? Wiggling and jiggling up together like that? Oh, 
Archie, they don't dance like that no more. Sometimes they're so far apart, they don't look like they're together. Will you stop yourself? I'm telling you that whites should only dance with whites. You don't believe me? Look at the movies. Fred Astaire and, and Ginger Rogers, Gene Kelly and Rita Hayworth. Shirley Temple and Bill Robinson. <laughs> That was before Shirley was old enough to know she was doing something wrong. I guess that's when she started dancing with George Mayfield. All right. All I'm saying is, if God had intended white people to dance with colored people, he'd have given us rhythm, too. Oh.